Today, we're going to be talking about how to buy a business using none of your own money and employing asset-based lending and seller financing. Check it out. You're going to love it. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the broadcast podcast YouTube channel where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things. I talk to interesting people and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, be sure to hit subscribe and let's get to it. Hey everyone, I, I know you're going to enjoy this week's video uh, because I put a lot of work into this and I've done digging and everything and, and it's going to be great. So um, I've got uh, a screen here set up I'm going to share with you, and um, I'm going to be descriptive as possible for people that listen on audio. Uh, back in September, I put out a video called Non-Financial Considerations When You Buy a Small Business, and I got a comment from Wayne, and uh, he says, solid advice, David. I don't agree with it being impossible or even risky to buy a business with no money down as long as you structure the deal right. Generally, if you have 50% cash flow left over or close to it after debt service, it's pretty safe to use asset-based lending for a down payment and finance the rest with a mix of seller and other more traditional lending. But my question to you is, what do you think is a good rule of thumb for a seller to take back? It always makes me laugh when I see brokers touting businesses where the owner will finance 5% for 24 months, like that's some kind of major help. What do you think is reasonable for a seller to expect to take back? So great. Great comment. And um, I've got a bunch of, of videos I'm going to refer to today, and I've, I've tried to make notes for myself so I don't forget any of them. There is a video uh, from earlier this year called Questions on Seller Financing. And this question, Wayne, is exactly in that video. And we'll put a link to it. If you're watching on uh, YouTube, it should be floating above my head. Um, and we'll try to remember to put a link in the notes as well. And just a reminder for everyone, all of the videos and articles I've ever done about buying a business with no money, if you if you want to watch them, and I recommend that you do, especially if you're broke and you think you're going to buy a business um, or you want to learn how it really can be done. Uh, if you go over to davidcbarnett.com and there's tabs across the screen, look for the tab that says buy a business with no money and and take the time to read everything and watch everything there. Okay, Really immerse yourself in that before you spend money with somebody who tells you that they can tell you how to do this. So let's, 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 let's think about this. Okay. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to make this bigger again. So Wayne's comment, I don't agree with it being impossible or even risky to buy a business with no money down as long as you structure the deal. Right. Okay. Um, I'll accept that. And we're going to explore that. Generally, if you have 50% cash flow left over or close to it after debt service, it's pretty safe. I'm going to stop right there. So uh, I've often talked about how one of the problems that people have with uh, buying businesses is that they overcommit cash flow to debt service. So what Wayne is saying here is if you have $2 of, of profit at the end of the day, if you commit $1 of that to paying for financing, you'll be okay. And I would agree. I think that's that makes perfect sense. Okay. So I agree with that. Um, it's safe to use asset-based lending for the down payment and finance the rest with a mix of seller and other more traditional lending. So this, this is very interesting to me because um, I've seen a lot of videos online where people are talking about buying a business with no money. And this is exactly what they say all the time. They'll say, 
use the assets as collateral to borrow money for the down payment. And then we're going to use a, a mixture of other financing um, and seller financing to, to make the rest of the payment. And so they'll say that and move on in their presentation or whatnot, but I've never seen any of them get into the mechanics of how exactly you pull that off. And the first time that I ever actually had a long in-depth conversation with somebody who had gone through one of these buy a business with no money programs, my very first question was, what are the mechanics of pulling that off? And how do you solve the problem of the debt to equity ratio requirement at the bank? And the person had no idea what I was even talking about, what a debt to equity ratio was, right? And so this is what we're going to get into today. We're going to actually use some examples and I'm, I'm going to try to figure out how to make this work, the statement. And we're going to explore together whether or not this is really possible. And if it is possible, who is it possible for and who is it not possible for? Okay. I, I know you're going to love this video, right? See, I even dress nicely for it. All right. So let's uh, let's get back into this because I want to I want to give you some of the some of the assumptions that we're using here today. So <clears throat> in honor of Wayne, I'm going to name this Wayne Co. So we're going to acquire Wayne Co. And uh, we're going to say that Wayne Co. has an EBITDA of 200,000. That's not SDE. So this is 200,000 after the owner manager has taken a salary. Okay. So we don't have to worry about that. There's 200,000 of cash flow. There is equipment and machinery in the business of about 400,000. And there's an inventory of about $100,000 as well. We're going to assume that this business is worth three times EBITDA. Okay. Uh, so 600,000. And if you recall, we have $400,000 of tangibles and a hundred thousand of inventory. And the difference between the market value of a cash flow and the value of the goods within the business is your goodwill. Okay. It's just mathematical. That's the difference. So the goodwill we're acquiring here is hundred grand. Now, when I started making this spreadsheet, <clears throat> I wanted us to be able to look at this from the point of view of three different characters. So Imagine a play where there are three different people standing on stage and each of these people are going to talk with us today and they're going to be channeled through me. I may even make some funny voices. So we have the buyer who wants to buy Wayneco and they, of course, want to obtain this cash flow and they would like to do it using none of their own money. And, and they've, they've seen Wayne's comment and they, they're going to try to pull this off. Okay. The seller wants to sell Wayneco. It's time for them to move on to some other chapter in their life, maybe retirement. But more importantly, they want to sell it and they want to get paid. That's that's a critical thing for the sellers. They want to get paid. Okay. And then we have the banker. And the banker, when we when I say banker, I know most of you imagine the banker character from Monopoly. Um, he's a fat cat with a cigar and a top hat and he's got all kinds of money. But the banker's interest is in making money. The bank wants to make money on this deal, okay? And we're going to spend some time empathizing with the banker today and trying to understand exactly what their point of view might be. So to begin, before we get into the asset-based lender seller financing model of buying this business, I want to just look at it from more of a Hey, Dave, like what's your normal method for buying a business? Because we're, we're going to do some comparison here between what I normally advise on these things and, and what has been suggested in Wayne's comment. So let's uh, let's expand this here. 
um, we have a bunch of other assumptions. So we're going to assume that the bank interest rate is 4.9% and they're willing to make a loan over six years. We're going to assume that the seller interest rate is 9.9% on the seller note and he's willing to make a note over a five-year term and that our line of credit is never amortized. So what, what I'm saying here when I, when I say the seller note is never amortized is that we're going to run Wayneco the way Walmart runs their inventory. So big businesses, they'll have lines of credit to finance their inventory. They don't ever pay them off. They just keep revolving the credit. As they sell goods, they make payments on the line of credit, and then they use that money on the line of credit to pay their suppliers, and it just keeps flopping over month after month, right? And we're using that cheap bank money in order to boost our rate of return as an equity investor in the business, okay? So the reason why it's important is because if we don't amortize the money that we borrow for inventory, it means more cash is flowing through to the bottom for, which means there's no principal payment on that inventory financing, right? So it's going to make it easier for us to pay other financing sources. So we're being smart. This isn't, this isn't finance 101, this is finance 301. Okay. So let's get back to the screen. Um, so in our formula, we're going to, we're going to assume that the bank is willing to finance 75% of the tangibles, equipment, machinery, vehicles, et cetera, which would be a $300,000 amortizing note. So I got Excel to do the payments. That would be $57,810 a year in payments on that $300,000 loan. And then on our $75,000 line of credit for the inventory, the annual debt service is $36,75, just interest only. Now, our seller, what I've what we've negotiated is we've gotten him to agree to uh, finance the goodwill portion. So that's a hundred grand. And if you do the math, what you'll find is that that's about sixteen percent of sixteen uh, percent of the total deal value of six hundred thousand, which is not in my books a tremendously large seller note. And and again, kudos to Wayne for pointing out this whole hey seller will finance five percent over twenty four months. Yeah, it's garbage. Uh, brokers who put that kind of thing in their in their um, advertising for a business for sale are basically saying that they are SBA dependent business brokers. This is an American example, obviously, um, and they don't know how to do a deal outside of just seeing if an SBA loan can be had. Right? That's what this tele this is what this telegraphs to me, because normally um, I caution buyers to get much larger seller notes, as you would. You'll find out if you watch that other video I mentioned earlier, uh, questions on seller financing. Really, you should just go and watch all the videos on the channel That's to get the best stuff. All right, let's, let's expand this again. So um, what it means then is that I've got 375,000 of bank financing and 100,000 of seller note, and I'm going to put in, a, or the buyer's going to put in $125,000. And if we come down here at the bottom, our seller note is going to have $25,000 a year of debt service and, and some $25,437. And that's going to total 80, almost 87000 as far as debt servicing. Now, uh, we have $200,000 of EBITDA. So Wayne talked about having 50% of cash flow left over. So I expressed it here as a percentage of EBITDA. So $87,000 of debt service is about 43% of EBITDA. So it's under Wayne's suggestion. 
and and basically Wayne's suggestion is what I tell people to like don't don't go more than half of cash flow for debt service. But when we talk about debt servicing, it's normally expressed in a different way. It's usually called a debt service coverage ratio, which basically the number is how many dollars of cash flow do I have for every dollar of committed to debt payments. So in this case, it would be 2.30. So there's $2.30 of cash flow for every $1 that's been committed to payments. Okay. It's the same. It's just expressed in two different ways. Now, the other ratio we have here is the debt to equity ratio. So how much debt do I have versus how much equity would I have on the opening balance sheet of my new enterprise after I've done the deal to buy Wayneco? So I'd have $3.80 of debt for every $1 of equity. Now, if this was in the States and our loan was an SBA loan, that would be fine, right? Because the bank's able to get the Small Business Administration to guarantee the, the loan and if we don't pay it, then um, you know the taxpayer will. So if you're doing a conventional financing for a business in the States, or if you're anywhere else in the world, typically banks want to see a debt to equity ratio of three to one, unless there's some other kind of highly leverageable asset in there like real estate. But we're, we don't have real estate in this deal. So we're not at three to one, we're at 3.8 to one. So from a banker's point of view, this deal is too risky. Why would the banker say it's too risky? Well, banks want to know that you are going to be around to take this business through thick and thin and do whatever it takes to survive. And that means having skin in the game. Why? Well, let's, let's consider this from the banker's point of view. And we're only going to look at the term loan, the 300000 So on the day you buy this business, the banker is going to advance $300,000 in a term loan against machinery and equipment, and you're going to give that money to the seller, right? And so the bank, they want to be paid and they want to collect all their money and they want to recoup their investment. Let's look at this from the banker's point of view, because it's very hard to empathize with banks because we see them as big faceless entities. But what I've done is I've created an amortization schedule. Okay. So let me zoom in on this a little bit more, make it easier to read. It's the same numbers as before. So we have an opening balance of 300 grand, 4.9% interest. Payment is 4817. Um, that is a monthly payment. But on the previous screen, I had the annual total. So just multiply by 12. So in the very first month, they give $300,000. There's interest of 1,225 on it. The payment is 4817. This is a different column. Total of payments. Because as we move down the amortization schedule, I want to total up how much money the buyer has given to the bank. And then the end balance is after the payment's been made, which is 296407 And this becomes the opening balance in month two. And we do the same thing every month over and over. And as you will notice is that the interest portion declines because it's being applied to a lower and lower balance. The payment remains the same. And this allows after 72 months for the balance to end up at a zero, okay? So this is a fully amortizing loan, right? Now, I highlighted something here and just let me zoom out here so you can see me. So what this is, is at month 63, the total of the payments made from the buyer to the bank add up to $303,500. The month before it's 298. So between months 62 and 63 is how long it takes 
for the bank to recover the $300,000 that they've advanced on this loan. Most people look at an amortization schedule and they look at the interest charge, so the interest column, and they would say in the first year, this bank is going to have $13,718 of interest on this loan. And people will say, that's the profit. That's not the profit. That's not the profit. On the, in the accounting, it's the profit. Remember, I've made other videos where I talk about the difference between uh, net income and cash flow. Okay. So from a net income point of view, the bank's going to declare $13,718 of, of income, interest income in this year. But from a cash flow point of view, they haven't made any money yet. They only make money after they've recouped everything they forwarded to do this deal. And then they start to get more. So the banker is making a decision on this purchase today. And the, the decision has to be so secure that they're confident that the buyer is going to be able to manage the situation for the next five and a quarter years before they actually get their first dollars of true profit on the money they've invested. Okay. So this is the bank's perspective. This is this is what they're looking at. And so there's lots of gobbledygook online about, oh, banks aren't interested in helping small business and banks aren't you know doing this and banks aren't doing that. This is your retired neighbor's grocery money, okay? This money is money that other people have deposited in the bank so they can make their bill payment and the banker is gonna lend you some of it. The bank's not in the business of taking risk. The bank wants to control risk, right? And hopefully this little demonstration here has, has allowed you to see the, this from the perspective of the banker. So one of the measures the bank uses is the debt to equity ratio. They don't like to go beyond three to one debt to equity ratio because they want the buyer to have some solidity. They want some solid equity in the balance sheet of this business so that if things dip downward, there's wiggle room for the buyer, for the new owner of the business. They also probably want to see that the buyer has other resources they could inject if things go wrong, okay? And so I put here David's normal formula, which still has problems because our debt to equity ratio is not good enough. So if this was a real deal, what would the banker be saying? They'd be saying one of a couple of different things. So number one, they the banker might say, we want the buyer to put in $25,000 more and we will put in $25,000 less off of one of these two. What would that mean? It would mean total of 450,000 of borrowed money and 150,000 of buyer equity. That would be three to one exactly, okay? The other way to do this is potentially to have the seller postpone part of the note. So they might want us to break the seller note into two notes, a $75,000 note, which we could start paying right away, and a $25,000 note, which we couldn't make payments on until after the bank has been paid. This strategy basically allows the banker to lock up the seller's money as make-believe equity because it's going to act like equity, meaning that it's not going to have a cash flow drain on the business like a debt would, okay? And until after the bank's been paid. So they're basically taking some of the risk off the bank loan and putting it on the seller loan. Okay. And I mentioned this before in past videos. So, so this is how, you know, I would normally be approaching this, a combination of bank money, seller money, 
and the buyer's money. Now, let's move on to Wayne's scenario. Okay, so introducing the at the that now we're going to say no buyer equity. The buyer is not going to put any money into this deal. And as soon as the buyer says that, the banker says, oh, well, then we're going to have a debt to equity. See here, it doesn't calculate because it's infinity to zero. It's, it's, it, it won't calculate. It's a mathematical error. You can't figure it out. I'm going to zoom in on this a little more carefully. There you go. So our debt to equity is divided by zero error. Okay, we can't do it. And so if we're not putting any money in and the debt to equity ratio now is so out of whack, the banker won't have anything to do with us. They say, if you're not putting any money in, we're not doing this deal because we don't think this is a bankable deal because we don't trust you. We're going to be putting up money and you have nothing in it. If things go wrong, you could just take a hike and we're going to end up with a loss. So enter the asset-based lender. Now, asset-based lenders, I you know, yeah, great people. They help people finance stuff and uh, they can be an option, particularly for businesses that have had problems and ups and downs and they don't have bankable financial statements. Asset-based lenders serve a very important function in the ecosystem of financing businesses. But if we want to compare them to the world of personal finance, they're kind of like pawn shop pawnbrokers because you know you could go into a pawn shop with a diamond ring they don't care your personal financial status. They don't care what your income is. All they care about is the value of the ring and they'll make you a loan on the ring. And the same sort of analogy kind of plays out in the world of asset-based lenders because you can find asset-based lenders that will just look at the value of the asset and make a loan against that. Now, you will notice that in my example with the bank, we said 75% loan to value. And over here with the asset-based lender, I'm saying 50%. Why? Well, there's a comment here about asset-based lenders won't finance fair market value. There's a video called Using Machinery for Collateral, Buy a Business with No Money, Asset-Based Lenders. And uh, let me back out of this a little bit. And so if you go and watch that video, in that video, I actually go through an example of a pizza oven. And I talk about the different levels of valuation. So a bank, they want to make sure that the business cash flows properly. And the true security of the bank is the cash flow, knowing that you are going to have the money to make the loan payment, right? So they look at the business and they look at the business, they look at your skills as an operator, and they make a decision about whether they want to make that loan or not. The collateral decision for the banker is almost, uh, it's part of the equation but it's secondary. It's part of the plan B. So they're thinking everything looks good, but if things really go south in 18, 24, 30 months from now, at least we'll be able to take that collateral and maybe sell it to recoup some of the loss. Okay. The asset base lender knows that you're knocking on their door because you have some kind of problem that makes you unbankable. And so the asset base lender says, I may very well have to take that thing, whatever it is. And so they're not interested in the fair market value of the thing. They're interested in either one of the orderly liquidation value or the forced liquidation value. And so <clears throat> the bank might be willing to lend you 75% of the fair market value, whereas an asset-based lender might be willing to lend you 75% of the forced liquidation value. It's a percentage of a lower number, okay? <clears throat> 
which means less money forthcoming. And because they're not banks, one of the secrets about banks that we won't get into is that banks are fractional reserve lenders. <coughs> Sorry. It means that they actually get to create money. Asset-based asset lenders are not fractional reserve lenders. They actually have cash that they have to get together from investors and they make loans with it. And so this is why your interest rates are typically much higher with asset-based lenders. And so there's only a $200,000 loan. Now, that $200,000 is going to have a debt service of $54,484. And we're not willing to put in any money as a buyer. And the banker's not willing to put in any money. And so that leaves the seller. So now I've got a deal where we've got $200,000 asset-based loan as a down payment and the balance is from the seller. Okay, well, let's look at the debt service, 101,749 per year. Well, all right, so does that make sense? Um, I thought it would have been more. Well, no, no, it doesn't make sense. Okay. So that is $101,749 a year of debt service. And as a percentage of EBITDA, it's 51%. And as a debt service coverage ratio, it's 1.97, almost two. So there we go. We've done it. We've done exactly what, Dane, what Wayne has suggested. So there you go. Go out and do that. Offer people a down payment of 50% of the value of their equipment and they hold the balance. What, do you think there's a problem with that? How is the seller going to see this? So some of the no money down guys will say, well, you don't reveal the source of your down payment. Hmm. In my experience, the source of the down payment will be revealed on closing day. And when the seller realizes that you've put up the collateral in the business to borrow money <clears throat> and that his note is second to the asset-based lender, and that you've got no skin in the game, they walk away from the closing table because they realize that you're trying to take the business without any real investment of your own. What you're asking a seller to do in this scenario is basically say, I'm just gonna hand you the keys to the company. And the seller carries all the risk of your future management ability of the business. Sorry, frog in my throat. Um, and so you can imagine that this kind of deal structure is really only doable if the seller happens to be your dad, right? Now, if you go to davidcbarnett.com and go on the tab, buy a business with no money and go down to the bottom, you will find an example of a scenario that was 100% bank and seller financed but it was not done with a stranger. It was done with somebody who had years of relationship with the seller. And the whole idea was the seller's idea. So yeah, if you're in that kind of scenario, it might be able, you might be able to work this out. But offering this to a stranger, <clears throat> in my experience, is very, very difficult. It's hard to do. So let's, let's go back and reconsider what Wayne said in his comment. 
and finance the rest with a mix of seller and other more traditional financing. So I did a whole video called Escape the Banker's Rules Carefully, which talked about doing business acquisitions without a bank. And, and we'll link that one here. And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot that I'm not zooming in enough. There we go. So I would recommend you check out that video too, because it talks about how you can use other modes of financing. But would you believe the very day I started building the spreadsheet for today's video, I got this in the mail. I don't know if you can see that. It says, new American Express business loans. Okay. And when I open up, when I, like, I kid you not, and it was addressed to me. Um, and it says right inside, it says unsecured term loans up to $250,000, competitive fixed rate interests, digital application, fast access to funds. And I was like, oh my God, this is how we're going to do it. We're, we're just going to get American Express to, to make the loan. And then we don't, we can give more money to the seller. So he doesn't have to finance such a big note and we haven't put any money in, right? But then I looked up the details. So number one on, on this particular, in this, you know, in this offer, a few things. Number one, the interest rate is quite competitive. It's 6% or as low as 6%. I didn't actually apply. I just went and looked at the website. So the interest rates are as low as 6%. Here's the rub though the maximum amortization on this program is 24 months. So the cash flow wouldn't work. The payments that we would have to make on this loan are way too high. But the third thing is, this was sent to me. This, this was not sent to resident or, you know, advertised to any business owner. This was sent to me specifically because I've been doing business with American Express for 20 years as a card member. I even worked for them for a while. Now, although that's probably not a data point in their marketing algorithm, but they sent that to me because they have a history with me and they know that I pay my bill on time. Right? And so, let's 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 think about this again. So, I'm going to I'm going to expand upon this. Zoom right in. So, a mix of seller and more traditional lending. Let's go and scoop over here to another scenario that I put together, okay? So under this scenario, we're gonna use the asset-based lender and we're going, because we don't wanna go to the bank because we, the banker's already told us if we wanna do a business loan on this deal, we have to have skin in the game. We have to have a debt to equity ratio that makes sense. So we still have no buyer equity. Um, but we're going to ask the seller to finance hundred grand like we did in the first scenario. And we're going to borrow $300,000 against our house. We're going to get a, a HELOC or a home mortgage or other solutions. Maybe you have a, a whole life uh, insurance policy with cash value you can borrow against. Maybe you've got retirement funds or other sources of, of capital out there, et cetera. And we're going to borrow against those outside assets to get $300,000. Now, here you go. We've got an asset-based loan with a debt service of 55,000 almost. 
We've got a home mortgage over 20 years, which only has a debt service of 20 grand. And we've got that seller note with debt service of 25,000. So we have $45,000 of debt service. That's only 11% of EBITDA. And if we express it as a debt service coverage ratio, it's $8.81 of cash flow for every dollar of debt. Holy cow, look at this. Isn't this an absolutely fantastic scenario to be in as a buyer? Lots of free cash flow, lots of room to make mistakes. No banker breathing down our neck, you know, as far as how we operate the business or anything like that. Because of course, the banker who made the loan didn't make us a business loan. They don't even know what we're doing with the money. They probably don't even care. Because in this scenario, if we don't pay the bank, they're going to come take the house, right? And so down at the bottom here, I've got no money deals are not done by broke people, which is, which is the, what I'm try, I've been trying to get across for years, okay? I have met all kinds of business buyers. I have helped people do, do deals before where they have not invested their own money because they've got access to all these other tools in their life because they've accumulated wealth over time in the form of real estate, retirement funds, whole life insurance policies, their home equity, et cetera. And to be honest, if I go back to the original scenario of you know this deal here, sorry, not sharing the screen. If I go back to the original scenario where the buyer put in $125,000 of their own equity, in a lot of the cases when I worked with buyers, this has come from like a home equity line of credit or a home mortgage, right? And so this is how it's done. And when people talk about, we're just gonna use asset-based lenders and we're gonna use a mix of traditional financing, they don't get into the deal details of how you put it together because they don't want to, the people who are like offering these no money down by a business programs, don't want to reveal behind the curtain that in order to actually do what they're saying, you need to have these other resources because they want broke people to take the last $2,000 of credit limit on their credit card and put it down on one of these no money down programs. That's what they want. I don't want you to do that. If you don't have any money, fix your financial life, acquire some wealth, build up some savings, and then look at this. It's a leveling up move that you do down the road, okay? Another important scenario that I wanna share because I don't wanna be accused of forgetting this. It's even easier than putting your house up. If you already own, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna zoom in on this one. If you already own a profitable business in the same industry as Wayneco, which has paid down debts and has a strong balance sheet, you may just be able to go to the bank and actually get a business loan for the full amount of the acquisition. Because the banker is going to look at the acquisition as an expansion of the original business, and they're gonna look at the balance sheets of the new combined entity. And if they see that the cash flow of your existing business combined with the cash flow of the new business is going to be available to service the debt that they're giving, and that the combined entity's debt to equity ratio is within the limits that they like, they'll just make the whole loan. Right. And this, this is why, you know, bigger businesses, they grow through acquisitions, they grow by rolling up businesses and rolling them into the, the first one. 
So again, not something doable by broke people. There's, there's one of these no money gurus who has got a book out where he describes how he bought a business using entirely bank financing, only mentioning one time that he was also in control of a business in that industry, right? So when I read that stuff, I'm like, oh, well, that's how he did it. He was able to leverage the balance sheet of the existing business, but he doesn't explain that in the book because he's trying to convince people that they can somehow do this magically without having any money. Anyway, like, honestly, if I've, if I've left something out, if I've missed something here and Wayne, I want to thank you very much for being a good sport about your comment here. Um, because I see this stuff repeated over and over again, you need to expand on the commentary. So yeah, a person who has resources, who has wealth can do these things. Broke people cannot. And that's the big distinction I wanted to make here today is that if you don't have any money and you want to try to pull off one of these things, you need to either find the money or find an investor. And then it's you and the investors together become the buyer. And, and then the bank looks at the two of you. And, and here's the, the challenge, of course, is that then the bank is going to want personal guarantees on the business financing loan. And they're going to want the guarantee not from you, the, the broke person who's going to run the business. They want it from the person who's got material wealth. And so then the challenge becomes not just finding an investor, but finding an investor who not only is willing to put up capital to lose, but then is willing to further extend themselves by guaranteeing the loan or some combination thereof. And these are the fun challenges that happen when you get into the nitty gritty of the deals. And unfortunately, I've met too many people over the years who've done one of these no money down, buy a business for nothing courses. They get out into the world believing they know how they're going to do this. They find the sellers, they make the deals, they make the offer, the LOI, whatever. They get an agreement from the seller and then they have to try to piece together the financing. And it's only then that they discover that what they were taught can't actually be applied. Please give me a thumbs up. It's it's costs nothing. It's easy to do. If you really want to learn how to buy a business, um, you know, while controlling risk, then head on over to businessbuyeradvantage.com. That's the place you're going to do it. And with that, everybody, thanks for staying to the end. We'll talk to you later. So, how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me learn how I work with my clients. You can learn about my books, courses that I prepared for you. You can also find out all about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there all for free. And I'd love for you to be my guest.